On this edition of the Triple Double Podcast, we welcome special guest Lindsay Darkangelo of The Athletic. We discuss with her the social justice issues taking place within the WNBA bubble and more. We also react to a great weekend of NBA hoops, give our thoughts on the NBA award finalists, and discuss Draymond Green getting in trouble for tampering. Get in touch with the show through Facebook and Twitter. Leave us a review on iTunes and email us at tripledoublepodcast at gmail.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of Triple Double Podcast. I am Justin Goodrum, joined by Matt Thomas. What's up, man? Hey, what's going on, man? Another beautiful weekend in Albuquerque. Been really enjoying the weather. Been a great time. How are you doing? Good, man. Um, we're getting close to the nitty-gritty. Um, things looks like to be kind of back to normal just because we have some regular season awards to talk about. The um, bubble's fully underway. We're getting to the play-in games, and we're getting closer to the playoffs, so I'm excited. Absolutely, yeah. A lot of great action this week, uh, just in general in the NBA, which we'll get to. We got, we got plenty to get to as far as that goes, and even... Oh, some more drama, as you might expect from the NBA. So it does feel like we're kind of back in a regular season. It does. And, I, you know, I mean, I love drama in a reality TV show. <laughs> drama. No, it's we in the that. NBA. I'll take it. <laughs> um, so we'll be discussing that. We'll be discussing um, the best game of the week, especially um, we're recording this on a Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, um, that the previous day of um, Saturday's games presented a lot of excitement so we'll talk about those um and we'll break down uh draymond green getting in trouble uh for tampering as well um and we have um, a lot of other points to bring up um as well not to mention we have a very special guest um her name is Lindsay dargangelo she is of the athletic publication um, we have an awesome chat with her very insightful just about the WNBA. um was in terms of this the social justice aspect and is how the league is adjusting to the bubble environment. Very fun chat, so uh, stay tuned for that. So um, some housekeeping issues. Get in touch with the show always through Facebook and Twitter, um, and leave us a review on iTunes um, and email us at triple double podcast at gmail dot com. We'll read me. We'll read all your emails um, just with questions in terms of this season or questions for us. Uh, we're glad to answer them. I'm on the air. So, Matt, let's hop into it and let's um, break down some unfortunate news, and that is the 76ers, uh, Ben Simmons. So, so far we know that he is undergoing knee surgery and that there's no timetable for his return. And I want to read um, Walsh's tweet, and this is of August 8th, and we're recording this on August 9th. So here's a direct quote. So Adrian Wilkonowski, <laughs> he's back off his punishment, so he's fully back in the swing of things. Um, <laughs> Welcome back. That, right? Um, he says, while the Sixers haven't ruled Simmons out for this season, sources say it would take a deep run into the playoffs to keep the door open on a possibility of a return, and that's still a iffy proposition. For now, the Sixers need to prepare for a postseason without Simmons. So overall, man, you know, the Sixers have been a, was a weird team in the NBA ever since um, they got Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid um, really up and down. And with them looking at their playoff positioning, I mean, they're right in the middle of the pack, um, right behind the Pacers, which the Pacers have looked awesome in this bubble. Um, they've been 4-1 and one as of this recording compared to the Sixers 3-1. and one. What do you think... It's going to what do you make it a situation? Because, you know, before the pandemic happened, the, the big discussion with this team was, you know, can Embiid, you know, fully achieve his potential while playing with Ben Simmons? Now, 
Ben Simmons is out for an indefinitely amount of time. This is going to be the Joel Embiid show. So do you think this might be a good thing for the Sixers that Ben Simmons is out? We'll get to see what Embiid can do, or do you think they need all hands on deck? Well, they're definitely not as versatile without Ben Simmons. They lose a great defender for them. They lose a guy who is tough to handle. Yes, there are still problems with that team construction. It feels like they've never figured out how to work with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid on the floor at the same time, just because Ben Simmons can't spread the floor. He's a, he's a tremendous um, ball handler, playmaker, passer, but he doesn't have that outside range. And we know that Embiid, um, though he doesn't always do it, oftentimes he operates on the perimeter, the high post, but really he works best in the low post. So that's that's always kind of been an issue of conflict for them. But even still, I think their their chances of doing anything in the playoffs are next to none now, in in my opinion. As far as the standings go, just to give you guys some context in, in case you don't know that, um, the Sixers are a game back on the Pacers, or I'm sorry, half a game back. Um, and the Pacers are at 43 and 27 for their record. The Sixers are at 42 and 27. You'd have to imagine that the Sixers might just stay resigned to that six seed at this point. Uh, and the Pacers, keep in mind, they may still have Oladipo coming back. Uh, they may add other pieces as we go along here because they haven't been at full strength. So, uh, the Brooklyn Nets sit at number seven, and they have 33 wins compared to the Sixers' 42 wins. So really, there's no chance the Nets were ever going to make it up into the sixth seed. But it, I wouldn't imagine the Sixers at this point can get into that five-seed spot. So they're pretty much locked up against the Celtics in the first round. They've had success there in the past against the Celtics. They, they are a tough matchup for them. But I just don't see them getting out of that first round matchup with how the Celtics have looked this week overall and just, again, missing out on Ben Simmons, who is is kind of a key component of that, can give them some matchup problems. Uh, do you kind of agree? Do you do you think they have a shot at getting out of the first round? So I have some late breaking news for you, Matt, which may affect my opinion. Um, yeah. So as we're speaking, the Blazers are playing the Sixers, and the uh, Blazers have a 86, uh, just like it's tied up, 86-86, um, almost with the third quarter ending. But Embiid, um, this is from Malika Andrews, suffered a left ankle injury, will not return oh, no. to the, the, the game. But um, that happened, he played six minutes in the game, but it says here, MB returned to the bench. So that's a, you know, late breaking story that we're recording currently. So Embiid's out there finished. I think that's pretty obvious to see. For sure. Um, I would say, depending on the matchups, they got like a decent shot. I mean, looking, and I have to see how the, um, you know, the brackets were to take place. You know, the playoffs were to start today. Um, because to me, the Pacers are the hot, they're the, they're the hot team. Um, besides Toronto and Eastern Conference. Um, they have the momentum. They have TJ. Um, I'm trying to get his last name here. Warren. Uh, TJ Warren. There you go. He yeah. was on the top of my tongue, and I wanted to screw it up. But TJ Warren's been on fire, and as we'll discuss later on, he's probably the MVP of the bubble. I mean, you probably say him or Luca, but I think looking at it now, if <sighs> – just looking at the, the, the matchups, because, you know, the right now you have the Bucks number one, Raptors two, uh, Celtics three, Heat four, 
And then that, you know, the four or five matchup will be the Heat versus the Pacers. And then um, looking at it, it'd probably be, what is it, like two versus seven? I'm not sure how it works, but just playing those middle teams, I just don't have any faith in them, especially in a bubble environment where they don't have their home fans. It's neutral court. Um, I don't like their chances. And if Embiid's battling an ankle injury where he's going to be like 70% effective, he's going to be done. So um, I just, it's hard for me to imagine him just being healed from this injury, even if he plays well like the next game and he's fine. So I would say before I was be a little bit more optimistic, but and now with this ankle injury, I think he's, I think the 76ers are toast. Maybe I'm being overly negative, but. Yeah, we're pretty much locked into the Celtics and the Sixers being that first round matchup. Uh, so so it does look like I mean, unless the Celtics can go on a big run, but then we're talking the Sixers playing against the Raptors instead, gotcha. which I don't think is is any better. Um, no, I, I do think Embiid, if he's healthy, gives some significant matchup issues for the Celtics, but I just don't have a lot of faith in him to carry that without Simmons overall. And, um, you know, the other thing that I wanted to to ask you while we're on this sure. topic is, do you think overall, and, and I think you already know my thoughts on this, but do you think this gives Brett Brown another year to work on this team? What do you think will be his fate this off season? You know, it's interesting, Matt, because we, I think I talked to you and some of my other basketball friends before this whole pandemic happened. I was excited for the playoffs because there's a lot of desperation and a lot of teams that had a lot on the line. And with this pandemic, it throws a wrench in it's into things. It's kind of like a get out of free, you know, jail card. I mean, mm-hmm. just think you can blame almost anything on the pandemic, right? Good or bad. You can spin it any way you want. And I just think it does buy Brett Brown another year. It does. Mm. Um, I would say if, the only way it would truly affect it if the 76ers played just poorly. I mean, looking at their record now, I would say them being three and one. And if let's, you know, they lose to the Blazers, let's say that happens. They're three and two. And then, you know, the only thing that would really get Brett Brown, I think in really hot water, if they got swept and they got brutally destroyed and that's with Embiid playing, um, especially if Embiid gets hurt that Brett Brown stays and if Embiid is like 50%, Brett Brown stays. Um, I would say the only thing that would really affect it is if the team is playing very electrophorically and disinterested um, and just like not a genuine effort, I would say his job would be threatened. But at this point, I mean, they seem to like him. It's, it's kind of similar to the whole Jim Boylan situation in Chicago. <laughs> they really like him, whether I don't think he should be the coach or not. Um, and I, I think this whole thing buys him another year. Um, but I think we're in agreement that I just don't think he's, he's the, he's the right coach for that team. Yeah. And I, I actually would push against what you're saying. I, th- I think we've seen enough. Uh, I think you may be right that the pandemic buys him more time and that there's extra understanding there maybe. But I mean, when you look at things and where we were before the pandemic hit, I mean, the, the Sixers coming in as the sixth seed, in the playoffs, sixth place in the East, That's even true. at that point in the season, it, it's it seems apparent to me that we just haven't found, and certainly Brett Brown hasn't found the answer for how do you manage a team with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid 
I think Ben Simmons, I, I've heard, has really positive feelings towards Brett Brown. But I also don't know how much Ben Simmons is in the future plans for this franchise. Um, and, and obviously, a lot of things are going to change depending on how serious this injury is. But I do think that we've seen enough of Brett Brown. Um, if, if I were a Sixers fan, I, I would be wanting a new head coach. I mean, I, I don't like to see people get fired or anything like that, but Brett Brown has been around since the Sam Hinkie era. Uh, so I think there's been plenty of time for him to make progress with this team. And for them to be number six in the East, and it looks like now pretty much locked into that position, I would say they would need um, at least a very competitive second round series for him to have a shot at staying, in my opinion. You know, it'll it'll be interesting when we get into the offseason this year to, to see what happens. We can look back on this and, and see who predicted right. <laughs> well, I feel you. I mean, I think in agreement, I don't think she should be the coach of that team either. I guess I'm coming from it from like a management point of view. I did not seem yeah. to really like him. And I, I get it. I agree. Like, I think if you're you right. can't If you can't get Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid to play um, – with each other in a cooperative fashion, especially where you've seen, like, for instance, Toronto, and you've seen, you know, somebody like a Pascal Siakam, which everybody thought was at best a mediocre player and instead turned into be a perennial all-star. Um, and for, if, for instance, even like some a team like Milwaukee, right, even though they have Chris Middleton, like Giannis is that team. We've seen a lot of t- teams in the East basically have that one star and all of a sudden, and, you know, I would say this, this goes for Boston too, Boston and the 76ers, you have multiple stars. Like, for them not to be at the top of the conference is a massive disappointment. So I agree, he should be gone. But for whatever reason, they really like this guy. I don't know. Um, they're <laughs> no, you're right about that. Table. I, I, just, I just don't think they're going to get rid of him. But, you know, all things, just having a real assessment of his coaching tenure, I feel you, he should be gone. But I don't know. We'll, we'll kind of see what happens on that front. For sure. Um, let's break down some of the big games of, of the week and we don't have to really get into the minutia of the games because this will be, you know, later on, um, a couple of days when these games have happened. But I want to ask you some key points from these games and get some thoughts from you regarding this. And that I want to ask you about the Damian Lillard situation right now. Um, the like I mentioned earlier, the, the Trailblazers are playing the 76ers, but the day before Portland um, played the Los Angeles Clippers, and there was a chance for Damian Lillard to uh, be clutched. I think was it the tie or take the lead in that game? Uh, I think it was to get them within two points or to tie it. Okay, it was it was basically to keep the game going. I think it was to tie it. Okay. And he missed two free throws, which is fairly uncharacteristic. And Lillard even said it himself um, in the post-game press conference that the other opposing team's players of Lou Williams and Patrick Beverly laughing at him. It's it's indicative why they're laughing, because they thought he would make the, um, the free throws, and he didn't. And it happens. I mean, people were saying, like, on no dunks, he choked, and it was such a big thing. I mean, from in terms of Portland's playoff positioning, that certainly hurts them. But I wanted to ask you in terms of Damian Lillard's perception, if this turns into a thing where they don't make the playoffs, do you think there'd be kind of long lasting repercussions 
for him missing those free throws? Or, I mean, there's plenty of games to be played. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen. Do you think this will be uh, kind of a hot topic for this weekend and we'll kind of forget about it the next weekend? I think he's bought himself some time, especially with what he's been able to do in the playoffs in against the Rockets when Patrick Beverly was on their team um, a, a lot longer ago, a few seasons ago. And what he did to the Thunder last year that basically walked Paul George and Russell Westbrook, that that was the end of their relationship in OKC together, uh, hitting that buzzer beater to end that series. So I think the fact that he's had two big series enders in the playoffs like that um, against those two players specifically, I think that buys him um, just good faith and, and keeps that reputation away from him. People, let's be honest, there, there were not, we, we all talked about the trailblazers, like being that dark horse team that could make some noise in the playoffs, but they were coming into this from being in a very bad spot in the regular season before this. So, yeah, I mean, there'll be memes, there'll be heckling like there was this week after he missed those free throws for a little bit. But I don't think ultimately that's going to be something that like sticks on his legacy from missing those two free throws. Um, But clearly we have like some beef between Paul George and Pat Beverly and against Damian Lillard. Yeah. Which you like to see. I don't know. What do you think, though? Do you think that sticks to his reputation? I don't think so. I mean, that. Big time shot he hit last year was such yeah. a legendary moment. I don't think so. Um, I think it'll be interesting as the events are playing out in real time as we're watching this. If there's a clutch situation, I mean, right now they're down by one to the 76ers. So, you know, in the fourth quarter, this game is close. And if there's a crunch time moment, I mean, it could affect things either way. I mean, if he's clutch in that fourth quarter, then, you know, the previous game is not so much of a factor or not a factor at all. But, you know, if he happens to choke again, then we we, we could be seeing a, a new, I guess, de-evolution of his game. Um, but it kind of depends what happens tonight. I mean, you know, two games with him struggling. I mean, right, I think at this point of the game, he has 32 points, um, I guess, the 76ers. But again, it kind of doesn't matter um, if they, they lose and if he struggles and if he costs in the game in terms of, you know, what's how his performance is going to be. Um, I want to ask you, Matt, you, you go into detail into kind of the deeper beef in terms of not only Damian Lillard, Patrick Beverly and Paul George, but also the families getting involved, too. And I guess I want to ask you, um, oh, <laughs> do, do you believe that families should get involved? Because Kendrick Perkins is like and some other ESPN analysts are like, you know, keep your families out of it. And, you know, it's between the players. Um but yeah, we're seeing, you know, everybody and her mother involved in this feud. Yeah, so let me just kind of give the timeline, I guess, for for the events that went down. And then I'll I'll get to your question there, which no, I don't sure. think families should get involved. Um, <laughs> spoiler. Uh, so basically, Damian Lillard hit a shot, at, I believe, in the fourth quarter of the game. And uh, he looked over as, as he came back on, on defense, he looked over at Patrick Beverly and he said, I want you out here. Like, I, I want you out here. Why aren't you out here competing against me? Um, and so then when he missed those free throws at the end of the game there, and there's great footage of this, I actually really 
liked this uh, just for the the spirit of competition and and creating this rivalry. I mean, you can see Patrick Beverly laughing on the bench and yelling out Dame time, uh, just just kind of mocking Damian Lillard for missing those two free throws. That's all good and well. Uh, then they go to a post game interview and. Damian Lillard says, you know, I, I've sent both of those guys home. Basically, I, I'm paraphrasing here. You can you can look up the actual quote, but basically that he sent those guys home. So he takes their insults and their their jeering at him as a compliment because mm-hmm. they, they respect him as a competitor because they know because he sent them home before. And so then on Instagram, on the Bleacher Report kind of breakdown of Damian Lillard's postgame comments, Paul George commented and said, and you getting sent home this year, respect, with with a laughing face emoji. Uh, so just throw in some shade at Dame Lillard. And then Damian Lillard, this is where it starts to get a little more personal, in, in my opinion. Um, he says, uh, at Paul George, at, at his handle, YG Trace, um, keep switching teams, running from the grind. You boys is chumps. So basically mocking them for changing teams in free agency so much, uh, mm-hmm. you know, ring seeking or whatever you want to say, which is kind of valid coming from Damian Lillard because he he could be on any team he wanted, you know, if, if he wanted to force his way into another roster. Like a lot of people have talked about him to the Lakers and things like that. But he's to this point stayed true to Portland. Um, and then I don't have the uh, the family posts. I, I didn't save that photo on, on my phone, but I know that Damian Lillard's sister made a video uh, just ripping on Paul George, I guess. Um, and also, I think, making some some uh, cruel comments, potentially, or just very personal comments about Paul George's wife. Uh, I'm sorry, girlfriend. And, uh, and then uh, Paul George's partner girlfriend uh responded to her um just basically like get at her you know or whatever like bring bring her some shade on social media <laughs> yeah. so that, that that's the point in time where i think getting a little out of hand yeah and you know i i personally think like if if i were talented enough to be an nba star and be at that level uh i would want to tell my family like don't even look at my social media don't even respond to anything that's said about me in the media or otherwise on social media because you're not really – I understand you're you're trying to have my back, but you're not really helping me. You're just adding gasoline to this fire. So I think it was a bit too much, especially comments made about Paul George's girlfriend, which like I, I'm not going to say on this podcast. You can look him up if, if you want to uh, for those right. of you listening that haven't seen – uh, but but there's some history there, and um, it was uh, not not a great look. I think the the stuff between the players, I am totally cool with. Even when Damian Lillard went a little more personal at Paul George, I still think that's all on the table since he commented on that Bleacher Report uh, post. But yeah, bringing family into things and and them starting to go at each other. I don't know, just not good vibes. And, and as someone observing, I, I feel it just makes it not fun anymore. Like it, it turns into, oof, this is getting ugly. Um, I don't know. Did you, did you have anything else to add? Were you cool with 
Beverly, you know, the, the thing that's kind of shady about Beverly's interaction maybe or questionable, I guess, would be that he was injured or, or taking a rest day. He wasn't even playing. Are you cool with what he was doing? Do you think it crossed the line earlier or how did you see the whole situation? No, I have no problem with it. Um, between the players, no issue. I like the chippiness of it. I think, you know, we can't sit here and be, you know, upset when, you know, we're kind of complaining about players being too, you know, friendly with each other or being too, you know, buddy-buddy. Um, and then we see actual competitiveness on the court and then, you know, we're outraged at their behavior on social media. So I don't have a problem with it. I think the families getting involved is a really, really ridiculous. I get it. Do you want to stick up for you know, their, their loved one. And a social media is a way of doing that. You know, normally, you know, what would loved ones do for nothing, right? They, they just would not be a factor. But social media, anybody can jump in. So I don't have too many thoughts on this. I, I like the rivalry. I like the fire. Um, I think the family should butt out. Um, that's basically it. Uh, but I do, I like the competitiveness. I'm not problem with what Patrick Beverly did. He's, you know, he's a jerk on the court. He's an agitator. That's why, you know, until he retires, he's always going to have a job on some roster because he's very similar to, you know, to Joachim Noah in his prime that, you know, he's an agitator and that, you know, having him on your team is going to pay off for you one way or another, even if he might be past his prime, you know, down the line. For sure, for sure. How, how do you compare this, you know, in in like the 80s? You know, think, thinking about the uh, last dance that you and I reviewed and everything, you know, back then we had Robert Parrish uh, before the Bulls dynasty started, you know, wailing on Bill Lambeer. And that was a rivalry in the NBA. Like you were basically eating punches on the court potentially or getting thrown to the floor. Do you like seeing something like this where, you know, I, I guess maybe there's, a perception this could be kind of weak or, or lame sauce, but do you like seeing this where it's it's more like social media beef and, and a little bit of yelling on the court? I mean, certainly neither of us want to see like anyone get hurt or, or like violence or things like that. But uh, how do you compare those two? Cause that, that's kind of something that made me kind of chuckle to myself uh, as, as this whole thing was unfolding was like, man, these guys used to, be like shoving each other down on the court and, and things like that. And it's resolved instantly on camera. Uh, whereas now this stretches out for, you know, a day or two of a news cycle. Yeah. Um, I think social media has changed it. And then the mouths of the palace too. Um, that's a thing yeah. where the NBA is not going to tolerate any violence towards anybody. Oh, and I think there's sure. a code with the players that it's just not going to go across a certain line. So overall, I don't really see a problem with it. And if things get physical, you know how that goes. Basketball players can't fight anyway. They can't throw a punch. So, <laughs> um, Do you think uh, there will be some bubble cafeteria drama? <laughs> that would be awesome. I hope there's video taken there. I would pay for a live stream of that. Yeah. Would you be shocked at all if, uh, if there was – Paul George and Damian Lillard just sitting at the table having lunch at the cafeteria together tomorrow. Ugh, that would ruin it. Like they probably take more heat for them doing that, unless they have like a thing. <laughs> of, totally would. We squashed, we squashed this, and everything's all good. That, but if they're just caught, like somebody took a picture of them, no, they get so much um, heat for that. I just um, want to see them at the opposite ends of the room, like with right? some kind of tray lunch, like they have that square pizza or something on their plates, and they're mean mugging each other with their masks on from across the room. 
That's what I want. That'd be, that'd be pretty funny. Um, I want you. To, I want to get your opinions also on the other probably most um, watched game, most talked about game of, of Saturday. Now it's the Denver Nuggets Utah Jazz. I mean, this went in almost um, into possibly triple overtime. Um, and so we have to lot two overtimes. We don't have to go super in depth into it. But what were your in, impressions? I mean, we saw great performances by the Joker, great performances by Jamal Murray, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert. Um, this is a game that the Jazz seemed to really need to have, and it, they didn't get it um, despite a Herculean effort by by Donovan Mitchell. Um, what were your thoughts watching this? Do you see the Denver Nuggets being any kind of a threat? Like I. I kind of see them as. Um, I think they're going to be a huge factor in the playoffs right now. They get the third seed currently. I mean, they're three and two right now. A lot of the teams, honestly, in the West, like besides the Suns and the Spurs, the rest of the teams have been pretty mediocre. Um, I mean, put the Rockets in the grid category. But other than that, um, the West have kind of stunk it up. Maybe it's, maybe they've wanted this to keep their guys fresh. But um, what were your overall thoughts of this game? And do you? see you know any of these two teams you know possibly being um in line to you know make some noise in the playoffs or do you think it this game's kind of irrelevant because it's going to be the lakers and clippers in the end well overall probably irrelevant but <laughs> to be more fun <laughs> uh i do like denver a little bit more than i thought i would with with skinny Jokic. i i think the way that he looks he's he's quicker he really gave Gobert a lot of problems yesterday. I think this game, so the score was Denver won in double overtime, 134 to 132. Jokic had 14 of his 30 points in uh, extended time. So in, in overtime, one and two, Jokic had those 14 points uh, and was trading off with Jamal Murray. Uh, so great game. I, I think maybe I, I would have to go back to you know, before the bubble and, and review games over the months. But I, I think this may even have case as the game of the year, even counting before the bubble, just with the back and forth, with the exchanges between, it, it was basically like Mitchell versus Murray and Jokic in, in those quarters. Because uh, uh, Gobert, you know, not not quite the same threat on offense and, just nobody could slow Jokic down at the end there. But I think Denver, you know, very similar to the Raptors in terms of you have continuity there and you have a lot of depth. And Michael Porter Jr. has has been playing much better since the bubble started. It seems like he took that time off to go up another level with his his playtime and, and his uh, his overall game. He's become a much more of a threat as a scorer. But overall, I mean, in terms of the the West, really the the bigger thing that I see is that I, I just think Utah is going to need to make some big changes coming forward. And, you know, we, we were texting in our our basketball friends kind of group chat uh, that, you know, I, I just think it, it might be a mistake for the Jazz to re-sign Gobert, depending on what they sign him for the amount that they sign him for. I just don't think they're going anywhere with this current lineup, even though they had such a great record in the regular season. Uh, I think it's, it's going to be tough for them to challenge the Lakers or the Clippers. I mean, they're, they're just going to focus on Donovan Mitchell and I don't think they're going to have enough firepower to 
take care of um, or to be able to keep up with that kind of pace. So I don't know. In terms of overall implications, probably pretty minor, but man, game of the year in my book, at least from the bubble, bubble game of the year. Um, what were your thoughts on that? And and then did you want to mention any other games over the course of the week? And not to go in depth necessarily, but just mention some of your favorites. Uh, not really. Those are the two that, you know, caught my eye. I would say Luca's performance also. Yeah. Um, I think he's been fantastic. But other than that, I think looking at the, the Denver Nuggets in particular, they're going to be a very interesting team to look out for. And I think I, I echo your sentiments with the Utah Jazz. I think there's a good nucleus there, but it's what I, what I like about the NBA now is that there's really – People will tell you, like, the Clippers and Lakers are these power teams. I kind of disagree, or even the Rockets. Like, I feel like it's wide open. Um, mm-hmm. And there's an open that's going to be – there's a wide open window that a lot of teams can really take advantage of. And we saw it with Toronto. Like, and, you know, they faced the almighty Warriors and, you know, take take all of these, these circumstances. They still beat them. And it's wide open. So I think for a lot of these teams that are you know struggling to get maybe their chemistry or really um, underperforming that this is the time to capitalize because you never know when you might have another, you know, golden state situation and you, you might, the teams could be kicking themselves down the line if they don't take advantage of those opportunities. So no, both games were entertaining. I, I love listening to it while I was, you know, uh, getting into getting my, uh, my, my apartment ready. Um, <laughs> uh, my girlfriend and I were, were having my parents over. So I was, you know, hoopering and hollering and, um, my girlfriend's looking at me like I was nuts. <laughs> what I was doing, but um, nevertheless, it was really um, interesting just to see how these games play out without any home courts. Um, and also, too, I, one observation I will make, and we can kind of move on if you want to, is um, the clock malfunctions. I thought that was pretty yeah. weird. Like that was um, highly unusual, just because you're in a bubble environment, you're not like moving to arena to arena, so. I would figure clock malfunctions would be the last thing to really worry about, but I, I guess it is. <laughs> it happened in almost every single game and several times in that Utah-Denver game when, when I was watching that. Um, but, yeah, I, I think um, just real quickly, like that Dallas versus Milwaukee game was great. Sure. Uh, I mean, Luca with that incredible between-the-legs pass in overtime to give them the lead – um, and, and kind of solidify that lead for a dunk with an and one. Um, Indiana versus the Lakers uh, was also great. We had TJ Warren continuing to build on his bubble legacy that, that we'll talk about, but hitting a monster three. Um, hey, Matt, are you there? Apologies. Um, yeah, I'm still here. Um, someone, someone called, so Skype got interrupted. Um, so anyway, uh, TJ Warren finishing Indiana versus the Lakers there. Um, so just a ton of great games this past week, some great ones on Monday night too, like Toronto versus Miami, Philadelphia versus San Antonio. But overall, I think yesterday, which Saturday was the, um, the best day of action that we've seen so far in the bubble. And there, there've been a lot of great days. I agree with you. Um, let's move on and let's break down what you mentioned with TJ Warren, who has caught your eye in the bubble so far. And I guess I want to ask you not only that, but what I want to know more is, is this environment conclusive to a player 
like a TJ Warren, it may not get that much run or that much attention um, because there's normally more fanfare around different players. Like it seems like <clears throat> maybe for some players, the pressure might be off because they don't have to deal with, you know, loud fans, the loud arena, the travel. They can just focus on basketball. So do you, do you think in the playoffs we could see a player that, you know, it's not likely to focus upon really take the charge because we've seen the star players you know be aggressive and perform pretty good um in spots so i don't think it's been a negative for a lot of the star players but do you think there could be you know another tj warren out there um that could be you know hiding under the radar that could be a factor in the playoffs that's not just like your you know six man that you know comes up with huge plays but actually putting up massive numbers there could be, I mean, I think with TJ Warren, this all comes down to opportunity. Like if Oladipo was playing right now, I don't, I don't think we'd see this, this TJ Warren blow up right now. I mean, we, we knew from his days in Phoenix, like he can put up 25 a night, no problem. The, the guy just can go and get buckets uh, with no issue, but he really, um, he really has just been able to take over and, and be like that primary scorer for the team. So it's, it's been shocking. I don't know if we'll see anything like that develop. I, I'm trying to kind of run through rosters, but uh, you know, nothing, nothing comes to mind really. I mean, I guess you could say if, if Embiid comes back, obviously he's going to get huge production, but he's, he's no surprise kind of under the radar kind of guy stepping up from the bench so, I mean, I think TJ Warren will continue to be that story until, um, well, and even once Oladipo comes back, you, you'd have to imagine they're going to play them together and, and still get Warren his playtime as long as he's got the hot hand like he does right now. Yeah, for sure. I think it's going to be interesting to see just who capitalizes on that environment. So I'm looking forward to checking that out. Um, if you don't mind, unless you, you want to just interrupt me, go right ahead. Um, but I kind of want to talk about the Suns and a shout out to Josh. Um, he's a huge fan of this team. Um, yeah. So far, they're 5-0. and What do you make of um, Booker's performance so far? It seems like he doesn't get that much attention because he's playing for the Suns. But yeah, I think he's a all-star caliber player. And tying into that, Draymond Green has been guest starring on Inside the NBA on TNT. <laughs> Basically saying that, you know, Booker should ask for a trade, you know, out of Phoenix. Like, he should not be playing there anymore. Um, overall, do you echo his – first of all, do you think the Suns have any kind of a shot to make the playoffs? And then whether or not that happens, do you see – do you think Booker is in the right situation? Um, do you think he should seek out uh, playing for another team? Or do you think, you know, as we've seen from other players, the backlash could be pretty great just because he's not staying with the, with the team that drafted him? Yeah, it's it's tough to answer that because, you know, I don't know the player on a personal level or anything like that. But um, and, and you can also see, like, for example, a guy we've been talking about, Damian Lillard, staying in Portland. I, I think that's been awesome for him, um, you know, being able to just have that fan base adore him and and just adopt him as like Portland's own son, you know. So the problem is that Devin Booker plays in Phoenix, which is a more casual basketball um, fanhood, uh, fan group, fan base. There you go. Uh, mm -hmm. So so I don't know that he would ever get it, get kind of that adoration on that level 
as Damian Lillard does. Now, some of that, of course, comes with playoff success and things that Damian Lillard has done. He, he's been able to step up his profile in that way. So I do think it's pretty rare for superstars to stay in Phoenix, unfortunately, just because it's a, it's a small market team. I'd love to see him stay there. And I, I do think it's more likely than it had been maybe a few years ago, just because of all the backlash that we have seen. But when push comes to shove, I mean, if I have to bet on it, I'm, I'm not going to bet on Devin Booker being a career long Phoenix Sun. He, he's going to have opportunities anywhere he wants to go, including those Warriors. Uh, so so I think that would be a fine move. I, I would also point out that like Devin Booker deserves a lot of praise and that Clippers versus Suns game where he hit that buzzer beater shot. That's arguably another game you could say is is the game of the year or the bubble game of the year anyway. Um, certainly an argument for that. Uh, but I would say the, the Suns have also been more balanced as well, and they have all their pieces together. They have Aiden back from his suspension. Of course, he's been better. So and getting Rubio this year was huge for them. It really kind of changed the leadership of that team and the presence that that team has had uh, for a while there. You know, it was just a youth movement and, and there was a lot less leadership. So I think that's made a, a huge difference. And they are a pretty nicely balanced team now uh, in comparison to like the past two or three years in a row. This is the first time I think in four or five years or maybe Maybe longer. I think I read since 2014. This is the first time the Suns have had a five-game win streak or even a four-game win streak. So it shows you where they're coming from. But I think that also makes it less likely that Devin Booker stays there. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I just think the money, the prestige, the fame, unless the Suns feel a way to uh, feel like figure out a way to build that team, I think he's going to be up the creek. Um, I'm assuming the Suns are going to be up the creek in terms of keeping him. Um, I think he's probably going to leave um, and, and seek a bigger opportunity elsewhere. Just because he gets sick of losing. Like, you know, this, this probably yeah. just takes a toll on you knowing you're the best player and you're losing all the time. And especially now we have so many teams that they're on the rise. And it, even like the, the team like who's doing terrible, but the Sacramento Kings, who has some talented players, like, you know, you want to be in on, you know, the playoff hunt at least and knowing year after year that you're not it's it's probably demoralizing well we've also heard stories behind the scenes about what that sun's management team is like like the goat left overnight in the gm's office or whatever that was leaving um uh, a mess, <laughs> some some ghost goat waste in the gm's office there so so we've seen like kind of how petty and weird Suns um, ownership is, too. So you'd have to imagine that would factor in uh, maybe more than anything else we've discussed is maybe he just wants to get away from that environment too, potentially, um, you know, unless like something like a like a Blake Griffin movement on the Clippers happens, you know, and this team starts being feared and and looked at with a different reputation you know other otherwise i mean i see him going when he has the chance yeah me too i think he's gonna jump ship so i i'd be astonished if he stays there but you know stranger things have happened so we'll, we'll see what happens yeah um, let's touch on draymond did you have yeah any, please any problem with oh, yeah. his <laughs> comments did you have any problem with the nba's response what were your thoughts on all that well, Matt, I wonder if you could so, play devil's oh, yeah. advocate 
and it helped me understands what is the goal of the tampering rule because this is not just an issue that's come up with Draymond Green. This is an issue with Doc Rivers. This has come up with, you know, Magic Johnson. And I don't understand the rule when you're talking about certain players. So if I'm a coach, so hey, I'm coaching the Bulls and, you know, I say, I'm watching the finals. The Bulls are out of it. It's over. The Bulls have no chance of signing this guy, or even if it does, like let's just say either way. Like I'm watching the finals, let's just say it's Milwaukee and, and the Lakers, and Giannis is gonna be a free agent. So if I say what's obvious, Giannis is one of the best players in the in the league, no matter what I say about Giannis, if he either I say he's trash or if I say he's great, that's tampering either way. So I don't understand when you have these analysts and you know these players that they do analyst work, they're promoting the league for you. What are they supposed to say when they're breaking down footage? You should ban all current players from being doing media appearances, right? I mean, why is Draymond an inside the NBA? They're going to ask him about players. So what is what do you think the Chris to me, in my opinion, is that it's ridiculous to find Draymond Green. He's given his opinion. Whether you agree with it or disagree with it, and to me, him saying he should leave Phoenix, uh, duh, yeah, like that's a opinion of a lot of people that would have. I don't think is it a some kind of conspiracy of Draymond wanting Booker to come to the Golden State Warriors. I'm sure he'd be happy to have him, but is it a master plan of Draymond Green? I don't think so. So I don't understand what is the purpose of this rule and what's the point of finding these players because I'm flat out confused every time this happens. I'm with you in some ways. With Draymond specifically, I mean, we have that whole story that we know about with him calling or texting or whatever Kevin Durant in the parking lot after. Uh, so, so my point being, there's a history of, of this guy recruiting, potentially tampering. I, eh. uh, I mean, all these players talk, all these players know each other very well since AAU days. So when they are teenagers, they play against each other or even with each other on similar teams. Like for example, LeBron James and Carmelo Anthony, it's famously known that they were rivals way back in high school on yeah. opposing AAU teams, et cetera. Sure. So, so these players all know each other. So, so it is kind of a uh, hopeless endeavor to try and prevent these guys from talking to each other, especially, I mean, you can just get on social media and go into someone's DM and, and chat at them that way. I think where I see, and I actually, I agree with the NBA's finding of Draymond and, and let me tell you why, because when Ernie Johnson, so I think Draymond's okay in what he says when he talks about Devin Booker needs to get out of Phoenix, those comments, when he talks about him being talented, being essentially like a big fish in a small pond, so to speak, I, I think all that is fine. I think the moment Draymond gets fined for sure is when Ernie Johnson asks him, are you tampering? And, and clearly it's a joke. It's, it's a joking fashion, but Draymond's answer of maybe is right there. You have to do something as the NBA front office just to, if, if you're going to have tampering rules, and now that's a different argument. We could say that they should get rid of these rules. They're, they're silly. And I, I would tend to agree with you. But if you're going to have any sort of tampering rules, you have to sort of CYA, uh, cover your own butt there, and give him some sort of fine. We know that 50 grand 
though that sounds like a good chunk of change to me. That's nothing for Draymond and, and the money he makes. I mean, it's really kind of a, a joke. It's more just the message being sent that, hey, we don't approve of what you saying that. But I do agree with you that these guys are very candid on television, and that's part of what makes the league so great is how um, just lively these personalities are and how honest and blunt they're able to be. I was kind of comparing Draymond's appearance to like the second coming of Charles Barkley on that show, just with yeah. how like blunt and upfront he is and how direct and uh, just humorous he is about it all. So, so I do agree. It's, it's tricky. I mean, we had a couple years ago when uh, magic was the president of operations for the Lakers and, and their GM when uh, when he made his comments about Giannis, he was fined two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So there is a history of this kind of stuff happening, and I think the downside is it's just going to discourage people from doing these shows. I mean, I I think on the other hand, like Draymond probably realizes there could be a lucrative media career for him after his playing days are over, and so there's still benefit for him going on television for that purpose but overall like if you are looking for honest takes from people about other teams you're less likely to get it as long as these fines are going down like players are just going to clam up and and executives are going to clam up when commenting about other players well what just reminds me of like the situation with coaches right when they are outraged by referee calls rightly or wrongly and they bash the referees and then they find the coaches for bashing the refs and then they they say well that's hurting integrity of the game and there's always a hint of like somehow the games are fixed like i don't i don't understand that connection doesn't really make any sense it's kind of i feel like it's the same situation here where everybody has their opinion players talk anyways there's recruitment anyways like if players want to go to a certain city they're going to go like i don't I don't know. It's baffling to me because it's okay for Pat Riley to recruit LeBron, but it's not okay for Dwayne Wade to. I don't understand what. I, I don't get how that makes any sense. Not to me. If I am I missing, am I missing something? I, you know, I I don't know. It's um, it's so confusing. Um, <laughs> it's just um, it's it's been an issue for the NBA for a long time. This this whole tampering scenario and i i don't know what they need to move forward to do to make it no longer an issue i i don't think you can remove this perception that players talk with each other you know i don't think so either especially in the bubble like they're gonna talk i mean heck they're at these games attending them i don't know it's just it's the thing that bugs me and I don't understand how it's an issue, but you know, it's the letter of the law. He got fined. He got fined. I knew, I'm sure Draymond knew the rest. He said maybe, so he knew he was going to get fined. So um, he knows but what he was, was getting into. It was also a great TV moment. <laughs> oh, of course. It also bought him the media credit, so it's probably worth the risk. One thousand percent. Like you were saying, he'll get some big media contract, and you know that's what makes Inside the NBA such a great show. Um, was there anything else you wanted to mention, Matt, before we uh, say goodbye this week? Uh, well, I think we should touch on the finalists for the regular season awards. Oh, yes. Totally forgot. I have those up right now, so I'll go through them. We'll get, yeah, totally forgot. So um, we'll discuss that right now. So 
I'll read this out and you can get your thoughts on this. So most valuable sure. player. Um, and keep in mind for all these categories, there's three nominees only. Um, and these are official. These were um, debuted on um, TNT um, earlier in the week. So we have MVP, most valuable player, Giannis onto the Kumbo, uh, James Harden, LeBron James. No really is shocker there. Um, those top three rookie of the year, John Moran, Kendrick Nunn, Zion Williamson. And keep in mind, these are not in order. This is just within the nominees. Most improved player, we have Bam on the bio, Luca, and then Brandon Ingram. Uh, defensive player of the year, we have Giannis again, Anthony Davis, Rudy Gobert. And then the sixth man, we have Montrezl Harrell, Dennis Schroeder, Lou Williams. And coach of the year, we have Mike Budenhauser, Billy Donovan, Nick Nurse. Uh, out of all those nominees, were there anything that surprised you or considering that we heard the announcement from the NBA that these were taken into consideration before the bubbles began? So I guess I'll ask you that question first. Do you have a problem with these awards only going up before the bubble? Does that make any sense to you? You know, a lot of people did. Like Bill Simmons, for example, had a big problem with not counting these bubble games. I honestly don't. I, I like the separation there and because it, it does feel like that's how this season went. So I think to think of it in that framework, although I'm sure stuff that you see in the bubble inevitably, you know, subconsciously even will factor into voters' minds maybe in some cases. Um, I, I do think the division there is fine. I don't know. Did you have a problem with that? Uh, I did. I think I'm with Bill Simmons on this. Like, these are regular yeah. season games. Things could happen. Like, I don't understand separating it. And so far, maybe it was a fear of um, the bubble not turning out the way it was, like players not performing. I think that's probably why they did that. But I think you take a chance. You see what happens. I mean, worst case, let's just say that the basketball sucks, right? It's just horrendous, which is not the case, but, you know, hypothetical. I think voters can clearly see, hey, the players are affected. They're not doing so well. They're going to take more of the regular season into account. Like they, could, they have minds of their own. I mean, these are not dumb people, um, despite people disagreeing with their MVP votes or their player award votes. These are very smart people that vote on these things. So, to me, just incorporating the bubble games, I think they're important. So I don't really understand the NBA's fear. I think you just take a chance and you go all the way and you have these bubble games for a reason. And then afterwards, once the play-in games and postseason starts, then you can start the awards. But I think it's a little bit premature, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's a fair argument as well because it it is a part of the regular season and everything and these games are impacting who ultimately becomes the champion this year um you know i I just see it as kind of like a a non-issue that that they made it uh march 11th and earlier uh but but i think that's certainly a, a reasonable take as well did you see Anything that stood out to you, any like surprise candidates from any of those lists? And I've, I want to ask you specifically about one, but any uh, any standouts that you saw or things that don't make sense or any anything unusual? Uh, no, not too really, to be honest. Uh, nothing's really standing out to me. I think overall, I've gone back and forth with LeBron and Giannis. Um I think at this point, they can go either way as MVP, and I wouldn't have any opposition towards it. 
I do think Ja Morant deserves Rookie of the Year. I think the TNT guys put mm-hmm. it nicely. You know, Ja first, Kendrick Nunn second, Zion third. Zion didn't play enough games. I'm a fan of Zion. I don't think he's overrated. I think he's going to be a huge star. I think he'll be better than Kendrick Nunn and Ja Morant in the future, even though I like Ja Morant. And I think I feel sorry for him because he doesn't get that much fanfare. Um, I think he'll end up like a Booker in a Booker situation um, where he doesn't get that respect. But I just think Zion's going to be a huge monster in the league. So that's um, the issue that uh, I wanted to bring up with you. Yeah, Zion has only played 24 games. Sure. So in my opinion, he shouldn't even be a candidate on the list. Really? Yeah, I, I do think, even though if he played the full season, I think he wins Rookie of the Year most likely. Me too. Um, or at least gives John Morant uh, a very, very close race, or they share the award somehow if, if that were to happen again, which it has happened before. But um, but I, I think there should be some kind of minimum, like you need to play at least half the season to be able to qualify as a finalist in these awards. Because uh, I, I just think 24 games, even with how outstanding he is when he is on the court, I, I think that's uh, just kind of silly to say, like, how, how can you be rookie of the year if you weren't even there for <laughs> half that's of the true. year? That's true. I mean, it just seems seems silly to me. It seems like they just put him on there because of name recognition and to kind of give him a nod that, hey, we think you're super talented. I, I understand your point, and to me, these are the problems with these awards, right, Matt? Because even with MVP, like, it's so subjective. All the time, oh, what do we sure. hear? Who's the most valuable player? Or who's the best player? Who should get it? It's all very subjective, so I think some criteria would help, like, create some ground rules so we know what we're dealing with. And I think with Rookie of the Year, I agree with you, like, in terms of if there were some ground rules, like, at least play half the season. I agree with that with you. However, that's not the case. <laughs> so yeah. because of that, just going off the eye test, I think when seeing him, he is the, the best rookie in the league. I do. I believe that. Um, however, you know, in terms of the criteria and everything, I get it. And that's why, to me, he's, you know, on this, on this list here, he's number three. I don't think he deserves to be higher than that. But at the same time, you know, looking at the, just the eye test, I think that's a factor in terms of mm-hmm. his performance. So overall, I get your feelings. I feel you if – you know, if there was a rule saying, you know, you have to play half the season and get nominated, I'm right there with you. You know, I mean, we wouldn't have this problem. Um, I just think it's so subjective that that's when you run into these issues. So I think in the future, having a rule requirement of, you know, 50 games or more, that would be very nice. Or at least, especially because next season is going to be questionable anyway in terms of the length. You know, 50% of the regular season, how many games that might be. Um, yep. And then go from there. No. Yeah, I agree. And and no doubt, I, I agree with you about the eye test and everything. I mean, yeah, Zion would be my rookie of the year if, if he played the entire season. Sure. But I also think giving the players an incentive to work for those awards would, would be a good thing. And I'm not saying super strict rules, because I do think the subjective arguments about the MVP every single year are a great thing for the NBA. It just gets the fans talking and gets people arguing. Of course, we know it gets media all riled up. In some cases, it gets you and I riled up. Um, so so I think the subjective arguments are a great thing. So I, I wouldn't make rule requirements too specific, but I, I don't think must play 50% of games of the season would be a big ask. I don't think so either. I think, the, I think that's a great assessment of 
if the player is worthy of getting that award. So I think we're in a complete agreement. And hopefully they add some criteria to that. And I think some criteria should be added to, you know, MVP2. I don't think it's an issue so much this year um, compared to other years where, you know, you like, for instance, like Luca was an MVP candidate, right? But come on. I, I like Luca. I think I am all in on Luca. I think, you know, the next few years, a couple of years, um, even though how much I'm high on Zion, I think Luca is going to be one of the best players in the league. I really do. Um, I think he's only 21. It's yeah, crazy. I, I think he'll, in terms of, the MVP discussion next year, if everything goes according to plan, really it comes up to Prozingis, depending on how the Mavericks go. Um, I really, really think he's going to be one of the best players in the league. But oh, yeah. this year, you take a look at the Mavericks, they're low on the, on the standings, right? I mean, how can you put him above LeBron, James Harden, or Giannis? You can't. So to me, I think you know your team record does matter. I don't care how well you play with a mediocre team. Like, you know, for instance, Booker, right? As great as he is, he shouldn't be an MVP candidate. Um, Mm -hmm. I I think your team being elite, that does matter um, because you do have control over that. I think that's an expectation that should be held um, compared to, Mm -hmm. like, rookie of the year, for instance, when you're your first player. So um, going over MVP, what do you think – are you, where are you leaning? I'm, I'm, I'm still a little bit conflicted between LeBron and Giannis, to be honest. Um, I guess to me, I don't have a problem. Like I said earlier with the award going to either guy. Um, I do have an issue with James Harden getting it, but what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I don't think Harden will get it because of the regular season record of the Rockets. And you have to do things that are unprecedented if your team, like for example, we just had a very similar debate. You know, I, I was thinking about this while you're talking about Luca. Uh, and that his team didn't do enough to give him the MVP vote. Well, we had that similar argument when it was Westbrook versus Harden for MVP. That's true. And pretty much the only reason Westbrook won it was because he averaged that triple-double all year, and that was you know, pretty much uh, not seen until uh, or since the 80s or 70s. I, I can't remember when uh, Moses Malone did that, I believe. Um But anyway, so you would have to have uh, like a historically great year, which, yes, you could say, I mean, Harden by the numbers is the most efficient scorer in NBA history. But that's not very sexy to to say when you're talking about an MVP vote. So, yeah, naturally, you look at the guys with the best record. In my opinion, I'm not conflicted about this. And you know how much I love LeBron's game and. Uh, just what I think of him as a player, but I do think Giannis earned this. Uh, I, I think the work that he's done and being able to be the defensive anchor of that team as well. I mean, although they certainly have other pieces that have stepped up, like Brooke Lopez, uh, shockingly has been pretty amazing this year, especially on defense. Uh, but Giannis has been the anchor for that team, and he doesn't have nearly as much help as LeBron has with Anthony Davis. So I do think that narrative kind of hurts him where LeBron has, um, I guess, momentum going is with this narrative of bringing back, like he, he was very vocal about bringing back the bubble, bringing back the league. And I think for writers, that is an appealing reason to vote for him as, as MVP and also the social justice movement and, and stuff he's done there. Uh, I know that's all kind of off court stuff, 
But let's be honest, that ties into the MVP vote. So for me, on the court, it's no argument. It's Giannis. I'm, I'm wondering if we're going to see some squirrely stuff from from writers and, and the voters, of course, uh, to maybe think of this as like LeBron's last chance to win this award and maybe they give it to him. But I think Giannis deserves it. Yeah, me too. I could see it as like the Oscars, you know, how it goes. Like, yeah. A, a leading Oscar, a leading, you know, actress or actor, you know, they got robbed one year and then years later they get the Oscar for a movie that they didn't deserve to get. I do think with LeBron, it is leans into me because I think the rest, other than Anthony Davis, the rest of the guys on their team are way overrated. Even though I like Anthony Caruso, mm-hmm. uh, Alex Caruso, sorry. Um, I am not really buying any of the other guys on that team. So I just think what LeBron's doing to make the Lakers an elite, you know, NBA title contender, even with AD's pretty incredible. Um, I get it, AD's, you know, mm-hmm. you could say he's an MVP candidate himself, but uh, especially this kid, not even uh, counting his age, because I just think that shouldn't be a factor. What's the guy's performance? But I'm just really impressed with what he's done. So I think he deserves a lot of consideration. But I would probably, I would probably lean Giannis. So I'm there with you. But if LeBron got it, I wouldn't be super outraged. Um, but at the same time, I think Giannis is the MVP if you were to really force me to pick somebody. Yeah, you make a good point there about LeBron because the knock on LeBron or, or a narrative that was going for a little while that's been silenced is that LeBron wasn't going to be able to do anything in the Western Conference. And he, by taking the one seed, even with Anthony Davis, as you mentioned, I mean, they they were just head and shoulders above everyone else in terms of that regular season record. I, I do think you're right that that holds a lot of value. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, I've already said how I feel about Giannis. Um, so, you know, we'll see. It, it'll be interesting. Uh, and, and LeBron, of course, carries a lot more clout right now than than I think Giannis has, even though Giannis is that likable up and comer. But um, honestly, I, I hope to see Giannis win it because I, I just feel like he deserves it more. Um, LeBron doesn't play defense. He, he can, but he doesn't play defense the way that Giannis does um, and has throughout the season. That's true. He's a two-way player. I mean, and LeBron honestly, is too, just not, but not, but as, not as Giannis. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Giannis is online in terms of being defensive player of the year. LeBron's not. And we've seen over the years, how many times have, you know, honestly, we've seen LeBron take breaks on defense. I mean, plenty of times. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, I mean, we're in kind of when we're doing the MVP voting, I mean, that's that's where you have to put things in consideration. Even though in clutch moments, I mean, LeBron's locked in and, you know, that's going to be our tough oh, assignment. Sure. We mentioned yeah. him locking um, down on Kawhi when they were playing the Clippers. So, so there are those moments. Yeah. You know, it's almost like... Um, Giannis is in that phase where LeBron was his first stint in Cleveland, where LeBron was hustling all the time, playing hard all the time. And then he learned to strategize and kind of take plays off or pace himself so that he'd have energy for the end of the game. And I feel like Giannis is kind of in those shoes right now where he's learning how to finish games. Uh, One of the, the kind of knocks on him right now is what can he do if the game is close does he have like a go-to move, which for a long time was a knock against LeBron? Um, so, so I see a lot of similarities between them, even though their their games are different in a lot of ways too. Um, but Giannis, I think, 
having that extra effort and maybe maybe not having quite as much game management wisdom as as LeBron has certainly also lends itself to more impressive statistics on defense, which is as you know good good for winning that MVP award. Agreed, absolutely. Um, before we we go, um, if you have any other thoughts, I did want to pass this along. Um, the Portland Trailblazers did defeat um, the 76ers. Um, and we talk about Damian Lillard. How is he going to come back? Guess how many points he scored. Oh, man. 45. Yeah, close. 51. Oh, yeah, 51 wow. points. Uh, seven assists, uh, 59% from field goal range, 94% free throw. Uh, he didn't shoot that great for three-point range. Um, but he hit uh, back-to-back clutch threes with a minute left to put the Blazers um, up six. Um, and that's from um, the Twitter handle Lucid. So shout out to him. <laughs> um, Going to have with to go back information. and watch that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, the Trailblazers won 124-121. Um, um, and this is from our former guest, Orlando Sanchez. So um, this is from him. Uh, quote, this is the game they needed. This puts Portland um, half a game behind Memphis for the eighth seed in the West. Uh, Lillard, as we said, 51. And then um, goes 15 for 16 from the three-throw line. Carmelo Anthony, 20 points. So that tells you right there. I mean – Damian Lillard, I wasn't – everybody else was kind of trashing him for choking. It's like he had one bad game. And not even one bad game. He just had one bad moment. Um, so oh, I for wasn't, sure. I wasn't concerned. Like, you know how Twitter is. Like, he, he gets trashed one minute. And then he has an awesome game here. So I'm not surprised or, like, worried about his future. He's too ice cold, too confident in his ability for that. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely on that list of, like, bubble season MVPs. Um, you know, I mean, there's there's a short list of players there who qualify for that, uh, but he puts himself right at the top of the list again with that performance tonight. So, um, yep. so that's that's good to see. It's an exciting exciting run. Memphis lost to Toronto earlier today, so yeah. um, as you mentioned, uh, Trailblazers now half game back, so they would need Memphis to lose and they win, um, or depending on how many games they have left, which I don't know off, off the top of my head, it could just be uh, that they end with um, more wins. Cause I know all, all teams aren't playing the same number of games and then maybe the Blazers could slip in that way. Mm-hmm. Either way we get John Morant or Damian Lillard. I think most people want to see those Blazers against the Lakers, give them maybe some sort of a test now that they're at uh, just about full health on that team. So it's, yeah. it's, it's looking good, leading into the playoffs. And um, some other breaking news. Because of the Blazers' wins over the Sixers, this is from ESPN's um, Twitter handle, the Pelicans have been eliminated um, from playoff contention. So um, see you later, uh, Pelicans. So pretty much that's – you know, you have to wonder what was truly the point. Other than giving Zion some, like, uh, reps, what was the point of them really entering the bubble with Zion in the first place? Is because they limit his actions so much. And they had – their opportunities, but they they were just seem like not not interested in really making a huge run uh, compared to these other teams in the bubble. Maybe wanted that lottery pick. <laughs> hey, yeah, <laughs> I would say so. Uh, did you have? Am I missing anything else, Matt? Before we uh, say goodbye, man, I, I think there's so much from this week, but I think we covered a a good deal of it. We'll talk about those regular seasons awards more 
as we get closer to that. I, I think that's a good wrap for tonight if you don't have anything else. So make sure you guys check us out. We are at Tripped Up Podcast on Twitter, or you can find Triple Double Podcast, our Facebook page. Triple Double Podcast at gmail.com is our email. Please like, subscribe, share anywhere you're listening to podcasts or doing your social media thing. We're also on Instagram, I forgot to mention. Thank you all so much for listening and hope you have a great start of your week. Thanks for listening to our show. And right now, get ready for our interview with Lindsay Dargantula. We'll see you next week. Peace. Peace. Now we have the pleasure and welcoming on to the show, Lindsay Dargantula. Um, she's a writer for the online publication, The Athletic. Thanks, Lindsay, for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. So let's hop into it, um, Lindsay. We've been having um, a lot of guests give us their knowledge on how um, the, the WNBA and the NBA um, differ in terms of how um, they're presenting their coverage in terms of social uh, justice. This is how it looks in terms of how what the product is on the floor. And I just want to ask you, um, it, it seems like the WNBA has been on the forefront of let's leading the charge of any social justice causes um, they want to express. And I just wanted to ask you, why do you think that is? Because just looking over the history of the league, if, if I'm mistaken, please correct me. Um, I don't think that's always been the case. So why, why do you think the WNBA in particular has, have been the leaders on that front? Uh, actually it, it, it has been the case at least in the past five, five years or so. I think the younger generation that has come in has felt more empowered to kind of speak up and speak their mind. If you're looking back when Kaepernick, um, Colin Kaepernick started uh, kneeling in the NFL, WNBA players around the league and different teams supported him and knelt during uh, national anthems in their own games. And we're talking back at this was 2016. So this has been going on for a while. Uh, if, you're, if you remember Eric Gardner and the I Can't Breathe Mm-hmm. Um, sort of statement. I don't want to call it a movement, but uh, the WNBA players were were in on that, and it's just gotten you know more and more uh, out there as as people have been starting to realize that that these players are using their platforms to do this. Then you have Maya Moore, who's arguably one of the one of the if not greatest uh, WNBA players of all time in her prime. Uh, stepping away from the league two years ago to focus on uh, prison reform. Um, so, you know, this is, it's nothing new. What What's new is that mainstream media is just now catching up on it. Gotcha. How um, do you think ESPN, um, their television partner, has handled um, just the presentation of the league in general um, in terms of not only social justice, but also just how the um, – basketball looks and how the presentation is i've noticed a difference compared to um years past in terms of just the studio coverage and more highlights being shown and more discussion um not even not only on espn even on tnt i saw WNBA highlights on there which i never thought i would see uh, on turner networks so what what do you think that the presentation has been um this year so far i I think what you're seeing is a regression of of the past um of the past few years, I've noticed more mainstream coverage leading up to the season in the past few years than it, and it has gotten is increased every year than I than I have ever before. Uh, this year was no different. 
I think um, just that people are starting to realize that women's basketball is has grown in popularity. There is an audience for it. And if you feed that audience, that audience grows. You attract more fans. And, you know, if you even just look at the, uh, the, the cross promotion of the orange hoodie, the WNBA orange hoodie that a lot of NBA players and celebrities have, have been pictured wearing, I mean, that's, that's the best-selling WNBA product ever. There was an article about it in, in GQ. You know, you have, you, you're reaching more people. They're, they're just, they've approached selling their product in, in a much better way than they have in years past. They're letting the basketball speak for itself. They're letting the players do the talking and it's working. Yeah. I've noticed a lot of player support this season in particular, the NBA player support for the WNBA in general. Can you speak on how that relationship between NBA and WNBA players has been, has it, my perception as, as someone who's kind of an outsider looking in is that the relationship seems to be growing closer and and more supportive, especially, I mean, maybe the same timeline as the activism, to be honest, over the past five years or so, but is, is that kind of the way you've seen things or what's, um, what have you kind of perceived as, as that relationship? Yeah, I think there's a, just a mutual respect there. And I, I think it's been there for a while, but I think you have N- NBA players who are being more vocal about it and who are willing to do the kind of cross promotion that's needed to lure uh, basketball fans, especially NBA fans over to the women's game. And I think what you saw with Kobe Bryant um, really just, Stepping out in front and being vocal about the importance of the women's game and, and how how good the women's players are. And, it, you know, if you have players in the NBA who you look up to Kobe Bryant and see him doing that, they're going to want to do that more. And I, I just think there's just been a, a better overall effort of, of the cross promotion that has, has been so effective. And that's what we're seeing play out. Hmm. Uh, another question I had for you, we had um, Kyle, Justin, was it Hembosh? Hey, remind me. Uh, Kyle Hayward, Hayward. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> from WNBA Nation podcast. And we were kind of talking about the depth of the league. And it, it seems to me that the league right now is deeper than it's ever been mm-hmm. uh, with with all the names that I recognize on these rosters, even as kind of a more casual WNBA fan. Uh, is that the perception that you get? Is there another time that it, it peaked kind of like this? I think in the, in the uh, early two thousands uh, and when the league first started, you had such a, a high level of talent, but I think now the game has grown so much and we've seen that in, in women's college basketball um, just there's more parity now. You don't just have Tennessee and UConn at the top. Mm. And so you're, you're having more players enter the league who are just, you know, so athletic. The athleticism is off the charts. And also you're, you're looking at a league where there's only 144 spots, right? So you have 12 spots in each team of 12 teams. So you have the very cream of the crop. And I hate to use that cliche, but that's what it is that makes this league. So, you know, you have players who do very well in college that don't even that get drafted in the mid mid second round to the third round that don't even make a, a roster. So you're getting the best of the best. And, and we're watching that. 
uh, day in and day out. And I just, you know, I, I agree that the level of talent right now is just, it's, it's at a pinnacle. Mm. Another thing that we've been noticing and, and Justin and I were actually just talking about uh, before we got on the line with you is that the, the league's ratings are at a four-year high in, in one of the openers and I, I believe an eight-year high in the other opener. Uh, so highest ratings in the two opening games since 2012 and 2016. Uh, whereas we've seen with other sports like with MLB, uh, and with the NBA, with maybe due to the politics in the sports, the kneeling for the national anthem, things like that, that's seemed to harm those ratings. Or maybe there's been other confounding factors uh, with the WNBA. Do you think that the increase in ratings here, has that been helped by the politics in a way, the, the social justice movement? Or is it more so this kind of buildup of talent and maybe the knowledge of, of what what's going on with the depth of the league? Yeah, I don't think it's just one thing. I think it's a combination of factors. I think you have COVID playing a part in the fact that there's not a lot of sports on right now and, and women's basketball and NBA are successfully, um, you know, continuing on. The NBA is continuing on with the season, but WNBA is having theirs and, and they're doing it in a successful, safe and healthy way. And, you know, it's sports. People have been without sports since March and we love our sports. So that's part of it. And then you mm-hmm. have the social justice movement and the climate that we're in where this is very important. And the players themselves are just being creative in their approach. You know, this is this is something that they're not just doing for show. I mean, if you just look at the T-shirts that the, the Phoenix Mercury and the Atlanta Dream wore uh, I think it was, uh, what's today? Today's Thursday. I think it was Thursday. Tuesday. Mm-hmm. T- it was Tuesday night. They they wore Vote Warnock t-shirts. Who's who's the opponent that's running against Kelly Loeffler, who's uh, the owner of the Atlanta Dream, who said some disparaging things about Black Lives Matter. So they're they're doing these things that are are attention catching, but they're not just doing it for that reason. You know, they're being real. That's just who they are. And that's in this climate that's appealing, you know. And plus you're getting to learn more about these players in a way that that was never there before. A lot of them have Instagram co- accounts and social media platforms and and followers who will not just follow them on social media but want to see them play. And that's, you know, if you love sports, you love to get to know the athletes and it makes cheering for them, you know, all, all the, all the more uh, important. Um, so there's, there's all that going on. And also lastly, there's been a growth. It's been trending in this direction. Uh, just the, the overall um, viewership has been up. Like you mentioned this, this, the opening weekend, all four games um, that aired on ESPN were up 63% over last year alone. Mm. Um, and I've seen that increase like last year, the opening weekend was up 20 some percent. So, I mean, it's been increasing for the past, uh, I want to say five years steadily. So, you know, all of those things have, have created this, this perfect storm where the WNBA is just kind of, it's, it's at, it's at the top of, uh, where it's been in a long time. And I'm just hoping it keeps uh, going in that direction. Um, to your point, Lindsay, you mentioned social media, and I've noticed just a 
increase of you know social media attention around high school women's basketball players can you speak on how the role of social media is going to change the you know the popularity of the women's game i just noticed with sabrina Inescu, like how popular she is on instagram and just some other high school players of the year um in the women's game like attracting the attention as you know the men do um and just them getting that hitting that other kind of fan base that's not being hit by your major uh, television networks. Um, how do you think that's going to play in a factor to the future of not only the WNBA, but just, you know, women's hoops globally? I think it's just, it just speaks to where we at as a society and culture. I mean, this generation coming up and, and, and how, uh, how involved they are in social media and, and promoting their own brand. I mean, uh, back when um, Skylar Diggins first got into the league, she was one of, I think this was 2013, 2014. She was really one of the only players who was really promoting a brand outside of basketball. And now you see everyone doing it. You see everyone doing it on social media, doing side gigs. And, and now it's even reached that younger um, echelon, like you mentioned, uh, high school players. So it's just building up fan bases, you know, and, and that, can only help once you, the more eyes you have on you, the more eyes you have on your games and, and they'll follow you to college and hopefully follow you to the WNBA. You know, I think uh, it's, it's just a new way to attract uh, fans to the women's game. Um, also, Lindsay, I wanted to pick your brain specifically about the, the action on the court as well, as well, excuse me, um, in this bubble environment we've seen, at least in the men's game, um, just a lot of teams that would be considered um, inferior take advantage of the, the, the bubble environment. And I was wondering with the WNBA, have you seen that as well? Teams that are considered um, lower in the pack possibly um, exploit um, the advantages of being in a bubble as compared to just traveling all the time and just dealing with the rigors of a normal season. Well, I think it works in different ways. Uh, I think being in the bubble and being in one spot certainly helps without the travel. But then you have teams who have all these new players and new pieces who need that time, that longer season to, to sort of work it out and come together. And in a 22-game season, that's almost impossible to do. So you have a team like the Connecticut Sun who has a lot of new pieces. They're missing their, their center and key player, John Cole Jones, um, their own five. So they're still kind of working things out and trying to figure things out. But then, you know, you have other teams like the Minnesota Lynx, who's who I think um, before they got to the bubble, just really connected. And, you know, Cheryl Reeve, the head coach of that team, is certainly um, the reason for that, getting that team just connected in a way. And they're four and one. So, you know, it's just nobody really knew how this season was uh, going to play out or how it's playing out where, we're two weeks in. It always it already feels like um, they've played a billion games because they're just so they're so frequent. Um, and I'm sure it takes a toll on them uh, playing so many games in the span of a week. But um, it's it's been fun to watch. And I, I think I think right now it's it's kind of uh, you have you have some some teams like Seattle Storm who kind of you figured they would do well with as deep of a roster as they have, and Brianna Stewart and Sue Birdbeck. And, uh, you know, it's just it'll be interesting to see how it how it continues on here. Well, Lindsay, thank you very much for joining us. Um, before we let you go, uh, Matt and myself, we were interested in um, what you're working on next, including a, a women's football book. Is that correct? Yeah. So I'm actually uh, co-writing a, a, a book on the National Women's Football League from the 1970s. 
Um, the league lasted from 1974, it officially started, to around uh, 1978, 1979. And then just the history of women in football into that time period. Um, it's actually really extraordinary talking to the women who played, who are now in their 60s and 70s, and, and having them reminisce about, about doing something at that time that was so that was seen as so, uh, unusual. Um, so it's been, it's been fun. We're, uh, we're right in the middle of, of that. Awesome. Um, did she have any plugs, anything you want, you know, people to take a look out for, um, with you, any kind of stories or anything that you're currently working on? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm still writing for the athletic WNBA. I do a series for them called around the, De- around the WNBA, just doing, just going through each team and where they're at 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 this point in the season. And I'll be uh, doing another one of those next week. And I also just started a a WNBA Q Q and a series called courtside. And uh, it's just a a newsletter I've been thought would be fun to do. I'm just sitting down with uh, different rookies, vets, all-stars, former players from the league, and just having an honest and fun uh, Q and a with them. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's something you can sign up for. Um, the link is actually on my Twitter, which is at darkangel21, and uh, it gets delivered right to your inbox. Awesome. Yeah, um, I've read um, this that courtside series. Um, it's very informative, so please go check that out. And we'll include a link um, in the episode description as well. So just uh, click on that, and you'll get all the information. Lindsay, thank you very much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you, Lindsay. Looking forward to reading that book. Yeah, I'm looking forward to finishing it. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks again. Thanks. All right, good. Take care.